Our uh, reading tonight is found in your bulletin on page 5, and you will see that each of these has to do with the subject of salvation, and that the title is uh, The Riches of Salvation. I want to focus on this subject. I'm having to go back to Matthew 1 because Ryan did such a terrible job preaching from Matthew 1. No, just kidding, of course. It's a wonderful sermon. I hope, if you didn't hear it, that you will go online uh, to listen to his sermon. Uh, but I did want to uh, take tonight to focus on this theme, and Matthew 1 happens to be the starting point. <clears throat> so, from Matthew 1, the angel speaking to Joseph, She that is Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And John writes, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then the apostles announce, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then Paul, writing in Romans, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray again. Lord, enable us to dig into this glorious revelation of your salvation and how it extends to every part of our lives. Lord, bless us. That in we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in Eric Larson's book, In the Garden of Beasts, he describes the first year in Germany of a man and his grown daughter. It was 1933, six months into what Larson calls the gathering dark of Hitler's rule. The 64-year-old man was William Dodd. He had been the chairman of the history department at the University of Chicago, and now he was the new American ambassador to Germany. His wife and grown son accompanied him as well, but the story surrounds the work of William as ambassador and the involvement in German society of his daughter, Martha, during that fateful year of 1933, as Larson puts it, when everything changed. Larson's introduction to this book is entitled uh, Das Vorspiel. It means either prologue or prelude or overture. He writes of the Dodd's arrival in 1933, that first year formed a kind of prologue or Vorspiel in which all the themes of the greater epic of war and murder soon to come were laid down. So everything under Hitler, everything that Germany was to be under Hitler, all the atrocities 
and the all-consuming war in Europe was there in the bud just waiting for its full flowering as the 30s progressed and we hit the 40s and the war. Now, in a directly opposite way, the incarnation of Christ, his three years of public ministry, his death, resurrection, and ascension form an overture not of darkness, but a light that would constantly spread throughout history, finally to engulf the whole world in the new creation. It was an overture that created the course of the whole rest of history. And so the whole of salvation is there in this bud of Christ's initial work. The rest of history is simply the unfolding of that salvation. The gathering in of his people and the formation of his church, their struggles, their failures, yet their light shining in the darkness, their transforming influence in the world, their suffering and their final resurrection and glorification and reign with Christ in the new creation. All of it was there, though, in this initial work of Christ. And now this full flowering will issue in that final day. But the themes were there 2,000 years ago. And all of that music of that overture has to do with salvation. That is what he will do, Matthew says. He will save his people from their sins. That is why God sent the Son, John says, in order that the world might be saved through him. We come to him as Acts and Romans say here that we read, that we come to him that we might be saved. All the various themes of the overture are songs of salvation. We celebrate now the incarnation of Christ. He was born to save his people. He died to save his people. He was resurrected to save his people. He ascended into heaven to save his people. And he reigns now to save his people. And he will consummate all things in order to finally, completely, permanently save his people. So I'd like for us to unfold just a little bit. We can't do much, but just a little bit. This theme of salvation as it works itself out in our lives. Presently, even more than in the future, even though we could talk for a long time about that. And a way to explore this salvation is to ask ourselves, what does he save us from and what does he save us for? First, he saves us so that we begin to understand something of the darkness and evil of our own sin. The rejection of God that is at its core 
and the neglect and abuse of others that has been our sin's pathway. He saves us to see our sin as it is. He saves us from ignoring our sin and excusing our sin, defending our sin, doctoring up our sin, civilizing our sin, dressing up our sin. He saves us so that we can face our sin and be honest and open about our sin. He also saves us so that we can and do come to Christ with our sin. He saves us so that we can see truly that he died in our place, bearing the punishment we deserve. He saves us so that we are amazed that he would love us. He saves us so that we're able to trust in Christ to take away our sin, to really rest in Christ, to know a clean conscience and a growing freedom from guilt and despair and shame. He saves us from the dread of judgment. He saves us so that we come to know and believe the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. He saves us from thinking that God is an unfeeling or neglectful God, which is our tendency. He saves us so that we believe in his constant favor and care throughout the day. To believe that he's passionately committed to our good. That he is promoting our good in every situation. He saves us for those things, not perfectly, not all together at once, but progressively, increasingly, his salvation rescues us in this way. He saves us from ignoring God and pushing pushing him to the edge of our lives. He saves us from the blindness of thinking that we can live life on our own. He saves us from thinking that any part of life can be lived with fulfillment apart from him. He saves us so we can believe that his will and not our own is the pathway to happiness and satisfaction. He saves us so that we begin to enjoy him as we enjoy his creation. To delight in him as we delight in his world. He saves us to recognize and know him in all things, in creation and culture. To live with gratitude for all he provides. He saves us to be amazed at his goodness and wisdom and power more and more. He saves us from living thankless dull, boxed-in, myopic lives with no wonder in God. He saves us from that. He saves us so that we have resilience and patience. 
He saves us so that when we are neglected or mistreated by others, we're still able to trust in God's love. And we're able to love those who mistreat us. To return good for evil instead of being overcome by good, by, by evil. He progressively saves us. He saves us so that we become a people who have compassion on the afflicted, the destitute, and the suffering. He saves us so that we have a growing desire to rescue others as God has rescued us, to minister to needy people as God has ministered to us in our need. He saves us so that we love mercy like God loves mercy. And oh, how I need that salvation. He sets us free. He saves us from destructive desires and habits that oppose God's will. He saves us increasingly from slavery to emotions that cause us to hurt people. He saves us more and more from jealousy and envy from cutting and stabbing words, from bitterness and resentment, from insisting on our own way, from whining and self-pity and complaining and grumbling. He saves us from lying and cheating, from gossip and slander. He saves us from counting ourselves as more important than others. And kids, he saves us from disobedience and disrespect to our parents. He rescues us from that. He saves us from talking back to our parents. He saves us from arguing with our parents. He saves us from raising our voices at our parents and going behind the backs of our parents and lying our parents and not honoring our parents. Obviously, not right away. (laughs) But he does rescue us from these things. He does make this happen in our lives as we trust him. He knows we're weak. He knows that we can't do these things ourselves. We don't. And he comes to save us. So that these can more and more be a part of our lives. He saves us from the trajectory of suffering and loss that we've experienced in relationships. He saves us for different pathways of healing and wholeness in which in spite of the hurt that we've experienced, we're still able to grow in love and we're still able to taste some of the joy of giving ourselves to fill the lives of others. He saves us so that more and more we can have rich lives of prayer so that we can find actual delight and satisfaction in prayer. He means to save us for those things and he does as we trust him. He saves us to love worship. 
to have joy in singing hymns and songs, to be more and more deeply engaged and gripped with every aspect of worship. He comes to save us for those things. We could go on, but you see, you have been caught up in the symphony of his salvation. You who trust in Christ, your life now is enriching the music of this great salvation. And remember that line in Joy to the World, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Not only extensively throughout the world and throughout all of creation so that finally all of creation will be redeemed, but intensively in each of your lives, as far as the curse is found, he comes to bring his blessings there. As far as it is found in any part of your sin or your sadness, your brokenness or loss, his blessing will flow there and finally will completely flower and blossom there until all that is not good is taken away in the final day. He will save his people from their sins and all the effects of that sin. So, do you trust him in this Christmas season? Do you trust him for forgiveness, for transformation, for meaning, for ultimate happiness and forever happiness. Do you trust him? We would urge you, if not, that you would enter into the true celebration of Christmas, the celebration of a Savior who has come for you. In the words of infant holy, infant lowly, Christ the babe was born for you. Christ the babe was born for you. Let us pray. Lord, enable us to celebrate the great riches of Christ's salvation. Enable us, Lord, to welcome that salvation, to expect that salvation in all these and other areas of our lives. Lord, to have hope that you truly deeply, progressively rescue us from sin and from its effects, that you put us on the pathway of salvation and that we can experience that salvation in countless ways. Oh Lord, enable us to have that hope. Enable us to pray with hope, to go after life, and to go after our responsibilities. And every day you give us with the hope that God is saving us. Thank you, Lord, for such a Savior at such a cost. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.